Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you doing? I am doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, since the last time we spoke on this podcast, I started to walk run and that is super exciting. Um, I did have all the feelings I anticipated. I felt a little anxious about doing it and, um, I'm mostly doing it on the treadmill and I started out doing one minute run, two minute walk. And now I've graduated to two minute run, one minute walk, um, between 20 and 30 minutes. So it's a total of, you know, anywhere between run to run 10 to 15 minutes of total running with the other part of it walking. And each time I do it, I feel a little more comfortable and my pace generally is about the same as it was before because I'm run walking. So I'm able to reset. So I can't really tell at this point what my endurance is like because I'm taking walk breaks, but at least during the run intervals, I'm feeling okay. And my form feels okay. And my knee feels weird, but I was told that's normal. It feels like not super stable, but I was told this is normal. So I'm trying to just embrace that. It doesn't hurt or anything. It just feels weird. I think that would be normal. Yeah, that was my question was how weird does it feel? Like, do, do you feel like you have a bionic knee now? Or yeah. do you feel like, um, I you feel, feel like it's there. And so when we run, we don't think about our, our, a limb, we just yeah. run and I'm not yet at the point that while I'm running, I'm not thinking about it during that interval. And I think now are you doing anything or is, you know, PT helping you with anything, make sure you don't, um, like, um, subconsciously compensate for like, I I think myself, if I thought, you know, I was nervous about my knee on one side, I might compensate or like, you know, change my form a little, like lightly step on that side and land heavier on the other side. Is there anything that you're doing or the PT is doing to make sure you're not doing that or just watching your form or Um, so much. So I do a ton of PT work, um, and strength work with Lauren, where I'm doing in, um, you know, like unilateral work on each side, but let's say I do eight reps on my surgical leg. I'll do four reps on my other leg. Right. I'm not overdoing it on the non-surgical leg. Um, I do a lot of hopping where I'll, it's hard to describe, but I'll put, I'll, use my surgical leg. I'll stand on that. My non-surgical leg will be sticking out and then I'll hop down from not a high level, but just sort of a, a, a mini step and then get back up and hop back down. So it's used to getting used to bounding. And then before I start to run, I do some drills just to make sure I'm warmed up on that both sides evenly. And Great. I do a ton of band work. I'm doing so much work. Um, not just strength, but mobility and just making sure that everything is firing. And I am now at the point where I'm so aware that when I'm doing, like, I'll take a ball and I'll do hamstring work where you're lying, I'm lying my back and then I'm taking an exercise ball and I'll put my surgical leg on it and roll in and out and in and out. And those are hard to do in a bridge. And I can now tell exactly when my glute is firing and when my hamstring isn't and vice versa. Whereas you, it used to be where I couldn't tell whether both were firing or not. So I'm, I'm more aware of things, but to your question, am I hundred percent confident that I'm not compensating? No, but that's why I'm doing these run walk intervals because every time I walk, I reset my form. I'm a huge fan of run walk for that reason. And I really recommend it to all runners, even non-injured runners, because it really gives you a chance to reset. Even if the walk is 10 seconds, especially on a recovery day after a long run, when you feel like your form is sloppy, it's a great way to still get in a recovery run without running the entire six miles, or whatever you're doing for your recovery run with poor form, because you're still fatigued from the day before. And you're not losing any fitness by taking a 30 to 60 second or 10 second, whatever, uh, that brisk walk in between your heart rate is still staying aerobic. So there's nothing, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, well, it doesn't count if I don't run continuously, but it absolutely does. And like you said, especially uh, we encourage our runners on long runs to take quick breaks because any of us over a 18, 20 mile long run are going to get fatigued and to take that quick break just to reset um, is never, you know, it's not detrimental to your training. So, and it can only help. Right. And when you say quick break, just to clarify, that's not a 15 minute water stop. That is a quick break, meaning a walk break where same thing in a race where you walk for just a a few seconds to a minute, just to get your form back. Water breaks is a different topic. Those water breaks where, you know, you're standing around during a long run for 10, 15 minutes, 
shooting the breeze and then starting up again, that that's different. different. It doesn't negate, you know, does not to say that anybody who has to split up their run or has to take a break in the middle of their long run is, you know, wasted long run, but you're right. It's very different because you're well. And then that case, your heart rate is going back below or your aerobic zone. You're, you're in recovery. You're full, you know, you're fully recovered by the start time you start again. So different, different type of thing we're talking about here, quick walk breaks to get in the continuous aerobic effort, but giving your, you know, yourself a chance to reset, catch a quick breath and reset your form, which yes. like you said, we encourage all of our runners to do. So absolutely. Awesome. Well, like this is amazing. And it seems like, I know it doesn't seem like quick progress to you because it's been a really long, um, long journey. Um, but I, I think it sounds like to me, like I'm a little, um, you know, not, I wouldn't say jealous, but I'm a little like envious that you're doing all the stuff. Like, I feel like I need all the stuff and I'm not doing it. So as well as I should be, you're doing all the, you know, mobility and strength and, and, balance and all of that. And you're so self-aware now of your, of your body, that that is certainly going to serve you well as you return to running. And it sounds like we've built a stronger, a stronger Julie runner. I hope so. I mean, if there's one good thing to come out of this, it's let's be honest. I wasn't in a great place when this happened. I, I felt like I kept taking steps forward and steps back. I mean, if anyone was listening to before, what was going on with me before my injury in November, which again, I will repeat, I hurt not running. <laughs> I was dealing with some post COVID issues still. And I just didn't feel like myself. And finally I started feeling more like myself when I ran the Rock Hill 5k, I felt like I was getting my, my times back to what they normally would be and closer to that. And I felt good. And then I tore my ACL like a couple of days later. But my point is, it wasn't like I look back on that time right before I hurt myself saying, yeah, I was in such a good place. I wasn't. And I do hope if something good comes out of it, it's that this is a reset, not just um, for my musculoskeletal system, but also for my autonomic system, which I think was struggling as a result of COVID. And I just hope and pray that when I do get back to running more distances that I'm familiar with. Not only does my knee feel okay, but also my entire body feels right. okay. And I'm I'm not at all delusional. It's going to take a long time. Returning to running is very hard, especially I've had a really long layoff. This is the longest layoff I've ever had, except for pregnancy. And even in pregnancy, I was running a little bit or doing elliptical and all the things for a while. And I let's remember for the first month and a half, I was not doing anything aerobic. So I've got a long way to go, but I appreciate all of your support. And I appreciate you always pointing out the positive because I can get really deep into the negative in my own thoughts. And I, I do so appreciate you saying that Lisa, and hopefully that will be the case, but let's talk about you because last week you were talking about how we're so thrilled with a race that you had had uh, the week before. Understandably, we we can't all have the best races all the time. And, and you certainly understand that, but tell me what happened last weekend. So, right. So um, two weekends ago, I guess it was the RCA 10 mile club, 10 mile challenge. Um, you know, just a race I've done before. It's a hard race. I had not been back since that was the last race I did before COVID and just didn't feel like it was like, you know, I was at my best. It just didn't feel it was a little bit frustrating for me. So as I explained on the podcast last week by some seren serendipitous, um, you know, coincidence, uh, Alex, my son had a cycling race, not for, well, about an hour from us. And I happened to see that there was a 5k in exactly the same place. And uh, the race directors got together and coordinated because they didn't know about each other and coordinated so that nobody got hit by a bike and nobody got, uh, you know, uh, distracted by the runners. Um, and uh, I went out and I ran a 5k and um, it was a nice day. It was windy. Um, first half of the course was pretty much wind at the back. Second half of the course, as soon as we turned around, it was an out and back was wind in your face. Um, and I just felt good. First of all, the day was, uh, the weather was much better than um, uh, the 10 miler. I, I just, I realized especially over the years, I just don't do well in cold weather. I just don't, my body doesn't feel like it's moving. And that's sort of what it was at the RC. I just felt like I couldn't get into that next year. I couldn't get into a smooth rhythm. I just was working hard and it just didn't feel like, you know, myself. Um, and this day was windy, but it was sunny. And I actually had long sleeves on and I went and did my warm up and I was drenched by like the end of like a, not even a mile warm up. I was like sweating. So I ended up taking off my shirt and wearing just a sports bra, putting, pinning my bib on my sports bra and I had my leggings still. I didn't bring shorts or anything. Um, 
and I ended up running the race. And that's so it was, even though it was windy, it was sunny and it was a beautiful day. And I felt really good. And I had a great race. I ran it actually, I don't know exactly how many, but I ran it faster than the last 5k I ran in Florida. I ran like right over 21 minutes and um, a second place woman. There was a really speedy, really nice woman who I met from Tacoma Park, um, uh, uh, who I spoke to after the race, who just was really, she's really strong. And I was trying to stick with her as much as I could. And she finished right ahead of me. And um, just like I said, really, really nice woman. And it just, but it felt good. I felt good again. I felt back to my normal self. I felt like I could move. I felt strong. Uh, again, it was only, you know, a 5k versus a 10 mile race. So that that's part of it too. Um, and it was really nice to have, because the course went right through the start finish of the cycle race. And I had a lot of my cycle, our cycle friends that were there who cheered me out. Like nobody was there to cheer the runners on, unfortunately, just, you know, it, was, it just wasn't when at that point in the course, it was where the cycle race was. And there were a lot of people and I didn't know anybody at the running race, met a lot of very nice people. It was, it was at a brewery and it finished at the brewery. It was a later race. It was a 10, a, that was the other thing It started at 10 AM, which I felt like just worked better for my system, which is good for Boston. Um, and afterwards everyone hung out at the brewery and it was a beautiful day outside. So they put chairs outside and everyone was hanging out. It was such a like nice atmosphere. Everyone was so nice. Um, and anyway, we ran through the start finish of the bike race twice on the way out and back in the in the 5K. And I had uh, our friends from cycle team cheering for me and people we knew from cycle cheering, which was really fun. Um, so I think it just all around was a much better experience for me, made me feel a lot better. And just and you're like you said, it it um, it just goes to show. And, and I was telling my son this after his races, which he felt like, you know, he struggled a little bit in his races. Um uh, but also due to the weather, like wind on a recycling race makes it really hard. And, you know, it's, it's just some weeks, you know, some races, you, you, you know, the, everything clicks, some it doesn't, and it really can't. Um, I think this goes back to what we talked about with Dr. Justin Ross last week. Um, it's really how, you know, are you coming at it from a place of fear or a place of joy? And, you know, what are you doing with that performance after? Like, what, it, how, how are you letting it, um, you know, are you letting it define you? Are you going in with process goals? Are you going in with a time goal? What is that, you know, what good does a time goal really have for you? Like, it, it can be very arbitrary. So, um, you know, I just, I think it's easy for us as athletes to then, you know, kind of um, look at one race and and think it reflects on our entire fitness. And it doesn't. It's, it's one snapshot in time. It's one race. It's one day. Whatever factors went into that does not necessarily reflect on your fitness. So I think it's so important to go back to what we talked about last week and having um, coming at coming at these races um, from a place of joy and thinking about what you enjoy about them and what brings you um, satisfaction out of them, other than your time, the time on the clock. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so it was, it was a good race and it was a lot of fun. And it, like I said, it was, it was really fun. I don't ever get an opportunity ever, but I never had an opportunity that Alex and I raced at the same time. Like he got to cheer me into my finish before he went to his start line. And then I ran, I actually missed the award ceremony at mine because I ran the, the start line for ours was about a half mile from the start line from his. So I was kind of running back and forth and I ran back to his start line to see him start and I missed our award ceremony. <laughs> so, um, I got back and they were, they were done, but that was okay. Um, so we don't ever get an opportunity to do that. So it was really fun to have him on the course cheering me on, um, on uh, you know, on, on my way out and on my way back. And and then I got to stay uh, around and cheer him on. So it was a really long day, but it was a fun day. And like I said, bottom line is um, just a good reminder that we can't put too much weight on on one race result or one workout um, based on the time on the clock. That's just it's just it's not um, it's not worth it. So, yeah. So that was that was my week last week. That sounds great. And I'm really glad you got a redo and I'm glad it was a joyful experience. And uh, I'm sure Dr. Justin Ross's words are in your head when you were running, especially during some of the windy parts, you probably were thinking about what he was saying, process goals. And I, am I feeling joyful? I am. I'm not eventing necessarily. I am racing today, but I'm feeling joy. And, and certainly it helps to have people cheering you on. That's super fun. It sounds like an awesome day. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, so before we dig into what we're going to talk about this week, we have a really good topic. We just wanted to share some exciting news. Um, we are actually going to be doing some podcasting in Boston again this year with Sheree Turner, who is the host of the Women's Running Stories podcast. We did a podcasting live podcast with her, of course, last year in Boston. But this year, we're actually going to be Fingers crossed everything pans out, but it looks like it will at the expo doing it. So we will actually be working with the BAA 
Um, we will be announcing our guests soon where we want to finalize everything before we formally announce it, but it looks like we're going to be doing it on Sunday at the expo, um, probably early afternoon. So we are beyond thrilled to be part of the BAA, to be part of their programming and to be at the expo doing this. And we hope to meet many of you, our listeners. So we hope for those who wanna to come to our shakeout run, which will likely be same time as previous years, 9 a.m. on Sunday um, at Boston Common. But also you'll have a second opportunity to meet us at the expo on Sunday as well, later in the afternoon, um, early afternoon. So we will keep everyone posted, but we just wanted to share it here first. And we are giddy with excitement about this, excited for the weekend as always. And um, yeah, so keep that in mind when you're starting to plan out your Boston activities. Yeah, we know people are starting to plan Boston activities. We had a lot of our runners kind of reach out and say like, hey, what's the kind of plan for the weekend? Because I'm starting to plan mm -hmm. things around the weekend. So as you're doing that, keep in mind Sunday morning, and we may have to tweak the time of our uh, of our shakeout run based on the expo um, schedule, um, because we don't want to keep anybody from going to some really cool stuff at the expo. Um, but generally that stuff doesn't start till a little bit later in the morning anyway. So tentative plan is 9 a.m. for the shakeout run, um, likely around 1 p.m. for the expo. So we'd love to meet. Um, we always love meeting podcast listeners. It's like such a, for me, that's always such a highlight of totally. the weekend is, is getting to meet people and find out where they're from and um, hear their stories and actually get to meet. I always feel like it's a little unfair. People are like, I feel like I know you because I listen to you every week. And I'm like, I wish everybody had a podcast so we could listen to you and we could know you. But um, right. <laughs> it's, it's such a like, it's, it's always so it's humbling and it's really um, fun. I still remember the first year we did this podcast, which was four years ago now, I think. And we went up to Boston and said we were going to have a, a meetup and we kind of laughed and thought like, who's going to come? Like, you know, we're going to have like a few of our runners show up or like our friends or family show up and that's it. And we had like 40 people show up from all around the world. We couldn't believe and it. It was like such that I left on such a high that time. And it really just, um, it's, it's just the connections we make through running and through this crazy thing that we do. And um, so I'm very excited about that. So everyone should save the dates and the, save the times and make sure they um, hopefully get a chance to, to meet up with us. But what we wanted to do today is talk about uh, the Boston course. And specifically, you know, again, we're also getting a lot of questions from our runners and they're starting to think about their goals for this race. And um, an, a, a common goal for Boston, which makes complete sense is, look, I worked my butt off to get there. I'm going to go and just have fun. And that is fine. Like to enjoy the course, to enjoy the finish, especially um, to be in a place that last two tenths of a mile where you can soak in the finish like that is really, that's a, a great goal and the ultimate goal. Um, but we get people who say like, Hey, you know, I'm feeling good. Like I want to push on this court. Like what, what are the chances of me doing well on this course? And a lot of people go in with the assumption of like, well, I know this isn't a PR course, but, or I know this isn't the place to PR, but, and we want to say today that that's not necessarily true for both of us. Boston was our PR course. I don't know if it still is for you, but for me, Boston in 2009 and 2010 was my PR course until I set a new PR in New York in fall of 2010. But Boston was a PR course and we both set PRs on the Boston course. And so yeah, Boston is still my PR course. And I, I set it um, the year there was a tailwind. I think it was 2011, yeah. 11, I think 11. So yeah, it, it remains my PR marathon. Now, granted, right. I have, I do have a caveat. I, I generally only run Boston every year, so I don't have a lot of marathons under my belt. After I started qualifying for Boston, I, I tend to just run Boston. However, I, I very much believe that it is a PR course. Um, if you want it to be, we no shade on anyone who wants to go and Dr. Justin Ross's words, eventing at all. But we are here to say that it can be and has been a PR course for us and many of our runners. And point in case, it is actually, if you set a record, if anyone in listening to us is going to set the, a record on the course, it gets an asterisk because it's net downhill. So there's, you know, it's not, um, it, it's it's actually a sort of not an unfair course, but it, it is known as a, as a net downhill. So you don't, you can't set world that right. Am I correct? Yeah. Like, I'm pretty yeah. sure you get an asterisk next to your name. So so it's, it, it's, it can absolutely be, I think what people think in their head is the hills. Mm -hmm. And we're here to say they're there, they're in a challenging place, but the hills all together, I think are less than 
two miles total, four hills together, less than two miles total. It's like six tenths of a mile. One of them's like four tenths of a mile, and two are like three tenths of a mile. They're all of them put together make up like I think less than two miles of a 26.2 mile course. So if you run this race properly and you go through the hills properly, there is no reason that if you are, you know, trained well, you're feeling great, it's a great day. Hey, we get another tailwind. We're due one, I think. It's been a long time since we had a tailwind. Um, but if you go out and it's a great day and you 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 execute this race well, you can absolutely have a PR. So that's what we're here to say. And we're here to kind of walk through the course. And based on our experience, now we've run it um, 31 times. I think we've finished it um, together. Yes, collectively 31. 31 times. Lisa, you, you've now run it. 19. 19. Well, so I have to take away one on the course because one is the virtual year. Okay. So one is the year we weren't there. So I've run the course 18 times. Okay. And um, I've run the course 11 times. Okay. Like 12 so times. 12 times. Okay. So 30, right. Yeah, 30, times. 30 times together. We've, we've yeah. run the course. Now I do have to yeah. say that it took me many years to actually even like register where things were and what course, cause you tend to, you know, um, I at least tend to, when I run to be focusing on the ground in front of me and making sure, especially, and we'll talk about this in a second, Boston is crowded and Boston stays crowded. Not like your races. A lot of people, especially qualified for Boston with the qualifying time, you're used to running races where you're out toward the front and it's spread out everybody at Boston and you Boston start line is your start line position is assigned based on your qualifying time. You see, you're starting with a thousand people that all probably have their qualifying time within a minute or two of yours. So you're all going to be running at about likely not everybody, but the bulk of the people in your start crowd are going to be running at about the same pace. So it is, um, a crowded, a crowded course. Um, so it, it, it does not, um, not spread out. It's just one thing to kind of keep in mind. Yeah. And that's why also we wanted to talk about this now, because a lot of the guidance that we're providing, we're about six weeks out from Boston. And these are all things that you can do now to prepare. If you are seeking a PR, even if you're not, you just want to have a great race. We are going to give you tips to prepare mile by mile now, and then how to execute it on race day. So you may want to listen to this episode a couple times. You can fast forward through our intro <laughs> because we we very much believe based on our collective experience of running this race 31 times that I'm going to be cocky here. I don't think there's anyone that knows this course better than we do in terms of how to execute. Well, it. I would it's say also, anyone who lives in Boston and gets to train on the course, they probably know it a little better than us, but, but not racing it. I'm just saying, I think we know what we're doing in terms of racing it. And yeah. we've also coached a lot of runners, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds for this race. So take our advice, the grain of salt. No, we don't live in Boston, but we know this course really well. And we know what to do and what not to do because and we've, we've run it in all race. conditions and we run it yes. in all conditions. So we run it in the hot, we run it in the cold, we run it mm-hmm. with a tailwind, we run it with a headwind. We run it. Um, I run it from the first corral, not, a, well, I actually have run from one of the front a long time ago from one of the front corrals of the first wave, but I run it from the front first corral of the second wave. I run it from the last corral of the first, of the first wave. And it's kind of a different experience where, depending on where you start. So we've run it through all different, um, conditions, all different, um, you know, weather. Um, so this, that's where our advice is coming from. Yes. So, yes. So let's start um, in Hopkinton right. and kind of talk about the, the start of the race and, and kind of prior to the starting. And you were just talking about preparing, starting to kind of think through things now and practice what you're going to execute on race day. Um, part of it is that, you know, don't forget the race start for Boston is later. Um, you'll probably be starting um, between 10 and 11 a.m. Um, or uh, and and that's different than than most races. So, um, you know, you want to um, think about that period of time before you're getting, and, and it, it's hectic, um, you know, getting onto the buses. If you're going from, from Boston and you're getting on the buses, getting to the buses really early, getting in line for those buses, it can be stressful. The lines are long. They've moved very smoothly. They've got it down to a science, but it can be, you walk up to it and you're like, oh my gosh, you're like, wow, this can be stressful. You can waste a lot of energy. Um, but before we talk about wasting energy, we talk about eating because that is something you know, want to um, dial in now. And if you're looking to have a PR on this course, you've got to be well-fueled. Um, so, you know, you're going to wake up and have a normal breakfast. And if you're training now and you can start your training around a little bit later, same thing, wake up for, you know, wake up, have your breakfast, sit around <laughs> for a few hours, 
um, you know, uh, go out, walk around because you know what, you're gonna be on your feet a lot. You'll be sitting in the bus for a long time, but then you're through athletes village. Um, you're up and around athletes village. And then there's a considerable walk to the start. Um, I, you know, it's probably about three fourths of a mile of a walk to the start, um, from, from athletes village. So kind of try to replicate that as you're getting ready for, um, you know, as you're getting ready for some of your longer long runs that are, are coming up. Um, that's, you know, something you want to think about, um, before you even get to the course. Okay. So just in a nutshell, how we're going through this is we're going to take each chunk of the course and we're going to tell you how to prepare for it. So Lisa, you just shared, how do you prepare? You practice your fueling. Now you wake up early, you have breakfast, you sit around for a few hours, have a second breakfast, walk for a mile and then start to run. <laughs> that is how you can simulate Boston waiting to start Boston at mile zero Hopkinton. And then now we're going to tell you what to do actually on race day and hop gun goes off, right? Gun goes off. This is the course. Um, uh, yeah, that first mile is downhill and it's actually pretty steep downhill. And you combine that with the adrenaline of being in Boston. I mean, it is just, it, it's indescribable until you're there. There's TV cameras, there's fanfare. There's, there are tons of people out in Hopkinton and the gun goes off. And again, depending on you, where you are in the corrals, you may go right away or you may be waiting and kind of slowly moving your way up to the start. But as soon as you hit that start line, it is a steep downhill. And the, the challenge is a couple of challenges. First, you're also going to be in a big crowd. So don't try to bob and weave around people. Like you've got to conserve energy and trying to weave around people is going to, um, you know, really, really sap that energy. But again, and, and, and in that same vein, everybody's kind of streaming downhill, like gung-ho, like as fast as they can. And you've got to remember, this is your race, your pacing. Um, we don't recommend people hold back too much on that first downhill. Like, you know, it's okay to be a little bit faster, I think, than your mayor. And I've done in my years that I've PR'd in Boston, I've looked back at my splits and my first miles were a little bit fast, but it was, my heart rate was, was, was pretty low. So, you know, it's really about staying within yourself, checking, saying like, okay, I'm going downhill. I'm going a little bit fast, but am I relaxed? Can I breathe? Can I have a conversation? Guess what? There are thousands of people around you. Find a buddy, have a strike up a conversation. That's going to keep you conversational and, and use those crowds because you can't really get ahead of everybody too quickly to keep you from going out way too fast. But I, I think it's okay to be a little bit fast in that first mile, relax, think about relaxing, thinking about having fun, going through your mind with all of the Kind of the positive mantras that you 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 have. So kind of going back to last week, we talked about like figuring out finding your joy in this and setting yourself up for for a good race without going out you know gung ho down that first hill, dodging around people, pushing the the effort where your heart rate is spiked from the adrenaline and from surging. Um, that's what you want to avoid. So how should one prepare for basically the first part of this race where it's net downhill, where it feels pretty easy, where you're just in, in a crowd of a very excited people where you need to run your race and maintain your effort. Notice we're not saying pace, we're saying effort. How yeah. do you prepare for this? You prepare for this on a training run by remembering to eat something within 30 minutes of your training run. And why is that? Because it should be something that you automatically know to do. It should be something that your gut is familiar with. We've had Kelsey on our podcast talking about this. And we've, of course, throughout the years, had many dietitians talking about this. You have got to start fueling within 30 to 35 minutes of your race. It is very easy to forget amidst all of the excitement, especially when the effort feels easy. So how do you practice? Visualization thinking about how you want to start your race, thinking about remaining controlled and practicing sticking your fuel in your mouth at 30 minutes in a training run so that your gut is familiar with this practice. Right. And also just in terms of practicing like that initial start, um, downhill repeats. And we put these in our runner schedules, um, you know, learning how to run downhill with good form. And I was just talking to one of our runners about this the other day as she was practicing them. Um, you know, look down at your feet. That's going to get you that slight forward lean from your ankles that you want to have versus leaning back and putting on the brakes, but get comfortable with staying relaxed, running downhill. And look, if you can do a race, a tune-up race between now and Boston that has a similar course, you're going to get that practice of, you know, starting out with a big crowd, um, you know, kind of 
just staying within yourself the first mile, even if it's not a downhill start, but just having that, that, um, you know, that mental ability to stay with, I mean, really I keep saying this, but really stay within yourself. You really have to check in that first mile and say like, where am I? Like, am I at a good place? Um, you know, am I at a good effort? Am I, uh, you know, am I, am I staying calm? Am I staying positive? Um, so that's the first mile. And I, what I want to mention about right after the first mile, because this gets me every year, you know, I've done it every year, but it gets me every year. There is an uphill right after the first mile and you see it coming in the, in the, in the, in the, you know, ahead of you, there's a straight road and you see this, what looks like a big hill. And I've heard people say on the course, we're not supposed to have any uphills yet, or what's that hill doing there? Or wait a minute, are we going uphill? There is an uphill and that can um, mess with you mentally, but it also can mess with your rhythm and your effort. And I've done, it's happened to me in the past where I go down that nice long downhill and I'm like, yeah, I feel great. And I see this hill and I kind of start to push up the hill to maintain the pace that I had going downhill. But all of a sudden it's a lot harder and I'm starting to get, my heart rate starting to go up a little bit. And I have to remind myself, this is mile 1.5, <laughs> like really early in the course, you know, 1.3, yeah. 1.5. I'm like, I gotta remind myself like, no, 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 like soft pedal up this hill. Um, don't lose the rhythm that you got into on the downhill, but don't let your heart rate go up. Don't like, you know, end up at the top of this hill and then, you know, already anaerobic. So I think that's um, psychologically and physically something important, especially for first time runners who aren't expecting to see an uphill early in the course. There is, it's not long, it's not super steep, but it's there and it's up. And if you try to maintain your same pace that you had going down that first hill, your heart rate's going to go up. Absolutely. And and don't pay attention to all the people that will, will be doing that because you'll see that you'll see people chugging up that tiny hill you'll see them later, <laughs> you know, better. So basically at this point, we've taken you through, uh, miles one through four. That's basically what it is. It's down, down, down a little up more down, take your nutrition. And then suddenly you're going to find yourself traveling from Hopkinton to the town of Ashland. And so what I love about the Boston course is in addition to ticking off miles, we get to tick off towns. And I think that's so fun. So you're in Ashland and it's, it's just, it's a cute little town. You'll see lots of crowds. You'll see lots of fun signs, lots of kids run through it, enjoy it. Don't waste energy, high-fiving, smile. Smile doesn't, smiling doesn't take any energy. And in fact, we all know this study show that you run better when you smile. So smile, but really try to conserve your energy and engage in the, with the crowds with, with a little wave in your face, but try not to do a lot of high fives for many reasons. Top of which is that it takes energy that you just can't spare. Unless, you know, you're, if you're, again, if you're not going for PR, you're not concerned about that. Right. Enjoy the course, give the high fives. Um, I did want to make one, you were talking about the crowds and that's another, I think, um, something just to be prepared mentally. Uh, you know, we talk about crowds the entire way of the course. There are still some quiet parts on the course where there are fewer crowds. There are definitely, even especially in those first four to seven miles, there are some quieter spots. Use those again as a chance to check in with yourself, as a count chance to like just check to make sure you haven't gotten too carried away with the adrenaline of the spots where the crowds are. Um, but there will be some where you have to turn to your, you know, within yourself and there isn't somebody on the side of the road shouting your name or your number. Um, so there are some quieter spots. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that reminder. That's so true. So you're going to breeze through Ashland and then at mile four, you're going to enter the town of Framingham, another cute town. And you're in Framingham for a little while. Framingham is about miles four through seven and Framingham has a, a lot of downhill, but the hills start to roll a little bit more. And that is actually going to feel good. Uh, so practice, how do you prepare for Framingham? Practice what you've probably been doing all along. And that is find routes that have rolling hills and practice pacing even effort. That doesn't mean you have to run all of your tempo runs on rolling hills and conversely, all of your easy runs on rolling hills. It's just when you run on rolling hills, practice even effort versus even pacing, because that is really the theme of having a really great Boston is even effort because some of your hills will be, some of your miles will be faster on the downhill. Some of your miles will be a little slower on the uphill. But as long as your effort is even, you will find that you will have a lot of strength throughout the race. 
So on race day through Framingham during the downhills, and this is really important, try not to speed up too much because you're excited for a downhill and you think you have to make something up. Again, even effort, even effort. And avoid surging. It's hard to avoid surging. And here's why, for two reasons. Number one, there's a lot of people around you. And these are all really seasoned runners who have run, as Lisa, you mentioned, about your pace. And you're going to see a lot of people surging. Don't feel like you have to surge at all. Know it's okay to run a bit faster during the downhill portions, but try to keep the effort even because when you surge, you waste energy. And finally, in Framingham on race day, you're, a lot of folks are going to hit the one hour mark in Framingham. So don't forget among the crowds and the excitement to take your second serving of nutrition because you'll hit about the 30 minute mark again. And a salt tab. If you're taking your salt tabs every hour, you're going to hit that probably in Framingham or close to Framingham. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, so, um, uh, you know, the, really the sections through about mile 10, 11, um, are, are kind of the same things that we're talking about. Um, you know, relaxing on the downhills, watching your form, even effort, um, keeping in mind that you're not even halfway through yet. So I think in my mind, your goal should be to get to that halfway point and feel like the race is just starting. Like feel like you almost just got to the start line where you didn't, you haven't put out so much energy that you're like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to get through the next 13 miles? Like that's always my goal is to like get to that point and then say, okay, now, now the race is starting. So for me, I kind of break it up into the first like 10, 11 miles and then mile 12, when we start getting close to Wellesley, um, and we go through um, a pretty big drop. I think it's around mile 12 um, as you're getting in, into Wellesley. And um, I, I think it's important, again, to remind yourself here to stay relaxed. Use it to get your turnover up, to really get your cadence up, to shake out your legs. Um, check in again with, your, with yourself. Make sure that you're, um, you're, you're not surging. Um, it, it can be tempting to surge once you start to hear the screams from Wellesley. Um, you know, there's really like this another jolt of adrenaline. Uh, as you go through uh, the screen tunnel and uh, you could, you can really surge through there. And again, that's about, you know, right before halfway through um, the marathon. So you want to be making sure that you're, um, you know, you're not wasting your energy there. I tend to see men waste more energy there than women because <laughs> they're, uh, they're surging, they're showing off, they're stopping, they're giving kisses and hugs. And uh, they got a lot of stuff going on. I, I always like my, one of my favorite stories from the first time I ran Boston and I started running with this, I think I've told the story before, but this older gentleman who, um, he was, he was hilarious and he was funny, but he started I, I, at one point in the race. I just didn't want to hear him talking anymore to me. And I didn't want to waste energy talking to him. So I kept trying to lose him and I couldn't, I'd speed up, he'd speed up. I'd slow down. He slowed down. But then we went through Wellesley and he, um, stopped to kiss all the girls in Wellesley and I lost him, but then he caught up with me later. So, and he caught up with me and said, sorry, I lost you back in Wellesley, but you know, an old guy like me, when I have an opportunity to kiss a pretty college girl, I stop and I take it. So, um, I think we see more men as women that we often have a little bit of better, uh, you know, We've got our heads on straight that we're just going to take, you know, that energy in from those awesome collegiates that are cheering. And again, check in with yourself that you're not surging and, um, and hold steady. Also, I, I keep repeating myself, but I think it's important because there's so many distractions. You just flew through Natick. You end up in Wellesley. There's a scream tunnel. There's a downhill. There's a lot happening. That may be, again, your 30 minute mark to take your third serving of nutrition. So don't forget, I have been guilty of that in Wellesley because for me, often um, I'm hitting my 30, 35 minute mark for nutrition around the time that things get really exciting and I'll forget. And then all of a sudden I've passed the scream tunnel and I look at my watch and I realize, oh, wow, I, I missed my nutrition by 10 minutes. So don't do that. Make sure you stay on task and make sure that you remember to take your nutrition when it's time. Um, Lisa, I love your point about not surging in Wellesley. I think it's really hard to do. So I think in the event that you end up running faster downhill through the excitement, just if you are, remember to keep your feet light and not pounding too much because it's still pretty early in the race and you're going to have some fast miles in Wellesley, which is fine. That's great. But just watch your form and make sure that you are running downhill with as little impact and as much efficiency as possible. So after the Wellesley Scream Tunnel, you're actually in Wellesley for a few miles. And I think 
this for me is one of my favorite parts of the race by far. It is such a cute town and there's tons of families out. Everyone is just screaming and tons and tons of people. And it's just super fun. So for many folks, this is the halfway mark. I mean, the two hour mark, that's what I meant to say. So <laughs> again, everyone is the halfway mark, but it's also a two hour mark for um, right. many people. And so generally you're still going to feel really good. You're still going to have your fuel in you from, um, when from pre-fueling, you're still going to have a lot of glycogen stores in you. You're still going to feel really strong. Don't forget to hydrate and to take your nutrition. And I keep saying this because Boston is one of those races that just, I feel like it's two races in one race. One is miles, basically one through 16. <laughs> And race two is miles 16 through 26.2. I don't know if that's how you would describe it, Lisa, but that's how my Boston yeah. has always felt. Those are the two races. Yep. Yeah. Um, and yes. Good. So race two will feel much, much better if during race one, you are so diligent about your fueling and you really just are on time and on task with your salt tabs and with your fueling. So how do you prepare for this before race day? The more tempo runs and the more long runs that you can do where you are practicing fueling every 30 minutes, the better. We understand that this is a pain. We understand that those Morton gels for those who are using them are really expensive and maybe you don't want to waste them always in your training, but we are here to tell you that the more you can practice this fueling timing in your runs, and it doesn't have to be just your long runs, the better you're going to feel on race day and the less thinking you're going to have to feel on race day. Because I know you feel the same way as me, Lisa, once you get deeper into your race, you cannot think as well. So things have to be more automatic. Yeah. You can't do math very well. And then that actually brings us backwards a little bit. I want to mention to something that we recommend our runners do. And if you're somebody who's going for a PR on this course, writing down your elapsed times by certain mile markers on your arm or on a pace band and checking in with that, like making sure um, you have not gone out too fast and that you're kind of staying on, on target, like have a plan going into the, to the race. So like you said, you know, once you get to that halfway point, like just making sure that you are, um, you know, you're, you're staying on, on that plan. Um, because I don't think any of my PRs ever came from, you know, blasting out of the gate, the first half, like crazy. And then just holding on <laughs> the second half that can't, doesn't really happen that well in Boston. Cause if, if you blast out that gate and you're pounding the downhills and you're, you're really pushing those downhills and you're, you know, burning through glycogen by the time you get, um, to, uh, to, to Newton, uh, um, in those Hills, your, your legs are going to be fried and your, and your system's going to be, you're, you know, you're going to burn through your glycogen that you could not replenish fast enough. And, um, and you're going to struggle in that second half. But so that's really, my goal is always to get to the halfway point feeling like, okay, I'm warmed up now. I'm good. Like I'm good to go. Like still feeling good and not feeling like, um, that, that pain that we all know that comes at about, you know, milk. 20 to 26, somewhere in that, in that range. If you're feeling that early on, then that's, you know, that's a sign that, you know, you might, you might not have done something properly in, in the first half. So, um, so, you know, getting to, to Newton, um, first you go through lower Newton falls and there is a huge descent. Um, and this can hurt sometimes. Like I've gone down it thinking like, please give me an uphill, please give me an uphill. So again, this is where having trained on downhills, we, you know, we talk about hill training. So many people think for Boston, got to do tiny hill repeats and run really hilly routes. And, you know, I got to go out and run my long runs on the hilliest course I can find. And there's certainly a benefit to running, like you said, tempo miles on hilly courses and getting used to having even effort on hills. But we focus so much on uphills, but what we really want to focus is on the downhills and having good downhill form. So um, when you get to that point, again, use that to get your cadence up, to relax, um, look down at your feet, um, really um, core engaged, um, and just relax, shake things out, take that free speed that you get without, again, pushing because you know um, what's coming ahead. So, you know, kind of think through your head, flow, um, relax, um, you know, again, making sure you're staying on top of your nutrition. Um, something, you know, also thinking, talking about nutrition is, um, try to take nutrition on the downhills when you're running uphill. Um, so this is coming up next when we talk about the Hills of Newton, when you're running uphill, your body's already working harder. So why challenge it to work even harder to digest nutrition? So take it when you're relaxed and you're running on a downhill. So that's actually a good time that downhill before you get to the Hills of Newton, um, is, is a good time uh, to take some nutrition. And it's a good time to take, if you use caffeine and you have a couple of gels that you're saving for caffeine, 
Um, your caffeinated gels, definitely this is a great time around lower Newton Falls, miles 15 through 16. If you're up for, if your half hour is, is um, up and it's time to take nutrition, this would be a great time to take your caffeinated gel. Um, so yeah, so you just got through lower Newton Falls, you ran a steep downhill and suddenly you find yourself in the famous town of Newton. And this is mile 16. And this is, in my opinion, and yours too, Lisa, this is where the race begins. And this is really what separates those who ran a wise first portion with those who maybe didn't run as well as they had hoped in terms of execution. So no one listening to this podcast is going to be in the second category because now you know whether you're running this race for a PR or not, you still want to use even effort and you still want to run really wisely from miles one through 16. So by the time you get to Newton, you are ready. So one of the things about Newton is you don't turn right away. You're still, so there's one, basically one, the race is a straight course through the towns until you get to Newton and then you make a right at the fire station. Um, but before that, you're in Newton for a little while and you're kind of like, where's the, at least me, where's the fire station? And then all of a sudden you turn and then that's when you start the hills. So there are four hills and there are three hills before Heartbreak Hill. And as Lisa, you mentioned earlier, none of the hills in and of themselves are super hard at all. And if you've been training on hills, you will not find any of these hills super remarkable. It's just the placement of the hills on the course. It's also, this tends to be a point in the course when you might feel some wind. Boston's full of microclimates and the weather can change from town to town. And because you will have just turned at the fire station, the weather can change a little bit. It can be on a hot day, it can feel even hotter. And on a cool day, it can feel even Holder. So just kind of prepare for that, absorb the body blow, which is something we like to talk about when we feel wind and know that's to be expected. Do not forget to take your nutrition again at the 30 minute mark. I will keep repeating this because things can be distracting, particularly in Newton. And most importantly, stay in your mental game. Don't panic. Don't be like, oh no, this is it. This is, this is what we've been waiting for. Here it is. No, you're prepared for it. You've done everything that you've needed to do during your training to prepare for this moment. And what, what are the things you need to do to prepare for Newton? It's simple practice running downhill and uphill at even effort at your goal marathon pace on a windy day. Don't avoid your run, get out there on a windy day and run against a headwind. It sounds miserable, but this may be the conditions that you face in Newton in particular. So practice it so that when you are there in that same condition on race day, you can say to yourself, I've already done this. I did fine. I'll be fine today. Third thing, don't get in your head in Newton as you start cresting those hills. Don't stare at your watch. Don't say, oh, here we go. I'm blowing up. This is what I thought would happen. This always happens to me um, around this time in a race. My pace starts to slow. No, everyone's pace is slowing in Newton. If one's pace is not slowing in Newton, it's because they are not running even effort. You have to run even effort to successfully cross the hills at Newton without using so much energy that you won't be able to fly during the last part of the race, which we'll talk about in a minute. So maintaining even effort means, of course, that your pace is going to be slower in certain parts. But there's also downhills in Newton and your pace will speed up again. And Lisa, to your point, which I think is a great one, when your next opportunity arises to take nutrition in Newton, make sure you take it on a downhill. So you've already taken your caffeinated gel right before Newton. So during Newton, you don't have to worry about which gel to take. And there are there is going to be a Morton station in Newton. So grab one of those there too. So you don't have to carry quite as many. But in a nutshell, even effort, understand the weather will be, present challenges, maintain your positive mental space, take your nutrition, don't surge and get through it. And know if you are really staying calm and doing all the things that you've done in your training, you will get through Newton. You will be just fine. All, all good points. And, and what I like to remember about Newton is as many times as I've done the course, I always lose track of which hill I'm on because there are four hills. And, um, and like you mentioned, there is plenty of space in between the hills to regroup. So it's not like you're going to be running uphill for five miles, um, but it is this up and down, up and down again. It's just where it is in the race. So a couple of things I think of, first of all, is I just 
know that getting to mile 21 is what I want. Like that's like, I just ignore like what number of hill I'm on or like, I just know. Cause a couple of years that I did it, I was like, oh yeah, here I am. I'm on heartbreak hill. And I knew it was at like Nile 19, but I'm like, yeah, but this is heartbreak hill, right? This is heartbreak hill. And then I'd be like, oh no, that wasn't heartbreak hill. It's coming. It's still coming. Cause I still have to get to mile 21. And that can be a little bit um, demoralizing. So, you know, don't get too like caught up with what hill you're on. Just take the hill you're in soft pedal it up. I like this visualization in my head that's worked for me and it's worked for some of our runners. Like, cause I ride a bike and I know when I ride a bike uphill, I shift into an easy gear and I'm spinning my pedals at a high cadence, but I'm not putting out a lot of power. Right. And I'm, I'm, I can breathe easily. I'm just, but I'm still staying efficient. I'm just bringing the power down. Um, so it's just, I think of the same thing as I run uphill. I think like shift into an easier gear, shift into an easier gear, keep the cadence high, breathe, relax, don't put out a lot of ton of energy. And then once you get to the top, it's like, I actually, I, I do this now because I've been riding so much indoors. I did this on my, um, at RCA, actually, I was doing it as I got to the top of the hill. I kept trying to like thinking I was shifting into a harder gear to go downhill. Like it was just weird. It was like this weird thing, but that's kind of what I think of now is like, okay, now I'm at the top of the hill. Now I'm going to shift into a harder gear. I'm going to put out more power and get back into my rhythm. And if you've done it right, and you've spent that half a mile, three fourths of, uh, you know, three tenths of a mile, four tenths of a mile, six tenths of a mile, going up at that kind of controlled effort, it's not going, shouldn't take you more than five minutes probably for, for even, you know, people who are going much more slowly, maybe three minutes, it's probably a three to five minute effort. And we can all do a three to five minute effort at a comfortably hard, because it is going to feel, because you've added the hill. So even if you're slowing down a little, it's still going to feel like a threshold effort. So we can all do that. And then once we get to the top, again, we re-engage, we shift into the harder gear and we say, all right, now we go. And the next one that comes up, you think, okay, shift back into the easier gear, soft pedal it up and then do it again. So that's kind of what I think. And again, like I have given up trying to figure out which one I'm on and how many I have left because I just can't think at that point. And I just think, mile 20, I know I'm getting close and you'll know, because when you get to the top of heartbreak Hill, you'll see all the signs you made it heartbreak Hill. You did it. Like, you'll know that's the one that has the most people on it. Most people at the top of it, like, you'll know you did it. And if you get there and you feel like, okay, I can shift into the bigger gear now and go, you're in a good place. Absolutely. You really do know at the, when you crest heartbreak Hill, you pretty much know what the rest of your race is going to look like, because if, Obviously, we don't want anyone cramping. We don't want anyone feeling like that is the end of the race. They don't have any energy to give. But one thing you can practice to prevent that is to, again, find routes that are hilly and practice running fast on routes that are hilly and take nutrition on routes that are hilly while running fast. Because truly, we can't simulate race day but we can do our best by producing an effort and eating at the same time to train our gut to process that nutrition appropriately. And this is about the time when a lot of people start to have some stomach issues. And while certainly we, if we knew the answer as to why everyone has stomach issues and, and gastrointestinal issues at races, we'd be millionaires. We don't, but we do know one way to help stave off those issues is to practice. So in addition to practicing, taking a nutrition on runs that are tempo, we suggest practicing also on hilly tempo runs. And certainly that will help prepare you for race day. And that feeling when you're taking that last bit of nutrition around heartbreak hill, you may not feel hungry at all. You may not want it, but your gut will know what to do with it. Practicing really helps this for race day. So congratulations. You've now made it past heartbreak hill. And now you've got basically miles 21 through 26.2. What happens here? Well, if you've done it well, this actually won't feel that hard. We promise. And this is why Boston is a PR course. It's this last bit of the race. If you've done the first 20, 21 miles properly, the last five miles of this race should feel pretty easy. Now, of course, your legs will be tired, but there's nothing about the last five miles of the race that are super hilly or super hard. You've already gotten past the hard part. And now you're going to end up in Boston college. You're going to hear all of the kids screaming. It is so much fun. 
and your legs may hurt. And this is normal. Everyone who's running Boston is a seasoned marathoner and knows that this is normal. So what do you do if your legs start to hurt around mile 21? You do some butt kicks. You know that the course only gets easier from here. You take your nutrition. If your stomach is starting to act up and you feel like it's starting to reject your nutrition, then just take a little bit or switch some, some electrolytes. But do not forget your salt tab at that three hour mark. For many, this is about the three hour mark. Do not forget your salt tab, especially if it's a hot day. So then you get through Boston College and the crowds are roaring and you've got miles 22 through 23, which is Cleveland Circle. This again is a hard part, not specifically because of Boston, but because this is the part of a marathon where everyone is tired. This is the part of the marathon where you have to engage in the visualization that you've been practicing during your training. So if you haven't spent a lot of time visualizing yourself running the last three miles of a marathon lately, start doing it now. Think about your mantras, Think about how this is supposed to be hard. If it weren't hard, I wouldn't be doing this challenging thing. This is why I do this. Bring out whatever tools you have for the end of the race, whether it's a special song, whether it's your mantra, whether it's somebody you want waiting for you on the course, whether it's a special flavor gel that you've been saving, this is the point to do it because everyone knows that this is the part of a race that is the hardest. It's that last 5K. But once you've hit miles 23, you're at Brookline. And basically Brookline, this is the last town before Boston. So no matter how crappy you feel, you've got one town left until you hit Boston and you're going to start to see the Sitco sign. And we know it's so exciting to see that Sitco sign, but truly objects appear closer than they actually are. Yeah, this is the Sitco sign. You see that Sitco sign for a long time. That doesn't mean you're that close, but what it does mean is that you can start passing people because now you don't have to be as disciplined about your your pacing. This is your time to race. If you have anything left in you, this 5k is where you bring it out. This is where you start passing people. This is where you can think about other people around you and moving past them rather than your own race and your own pace. Just start fishing and passing people. You can even surge at this point. You have the freedom to do whatever you want at this point. There's no holding back. And then once we pass Brookline, of course, you enter the Back Bay area of Boston and this is the best part of the race. This is what you've been working for. That finish line area is a long time. You make a right onto Hereford and a left onto Boylston. The finish line is really far down Boylston. So the good news is that you have a really long time to enjoy that home stretch. You have a really long time to process what you are about to do. You are about to cross the finish line of the Boston Marathon, the happiest place on earth by far, we believe. But at the same time, it's also a time where you may not realize that your execution of that last bit can actually make a difference in your race time. Seriously, there are very few races where the finish line is that far and you can see it that clearly. Go ahead and enjoy, but go ahead and surge and run as fast as you can. Even if you are inventing this race, why not get out there and just push to the finish line, smile, enjoy the crowds and do everything you can to do as fat, to run as fast as you can to that finish line. You will not regret it. It is super fun to go into that finish line shoot and be greeted by all of the amazing volunteers Truly, there's nothing happier and more remarkable than the scenes of the Boston Marathon finish line. So we just took you through a lot. Lisa, Wait, I'm going to go back. I, I just have a couple of things I wanted to add in that last stretch, which I think um, often take me not by surprise, but I think people are serve well to, to be prepared for. There are a few last couple hills in that last uh, stretch, and it doesn't look like it. If you look at an elevation profile, it doesn't, uh, if you were out doing your normal everyday run, I don't think you'd realize it, but at about um, a mile left to go, you go through over an overpass over a highway I think it is and that's that to me always feels kind of tough to get over that, is that overpass, the overpass especially that says it says one Boston mile to go uh, I think so uh, I'm not sure but I, it usually is right before the I think if I'm remembering correctly before the one mile to go sign yes it's, it's, I was just looking on my map trying to find out exactly where it is but it's it's an overpass and um especially if it's a sunny or a warm day it, it's very exposed and you're very Yes. It's where people on the hot years that we've run it, I've seen a lot of people struggling or off on the sides, not doing really well. So it's, it's very exposed and it's up, it's, it's very slight, but it's uphill and it feels like a lot at that point. And then it's the underpass that you go in right before you turn right onto Hereford. Uh, there's an underpass that you go through. So you go down and then you got to come up the other side. And 
I don't know. That always just, and you know, you're so close. So that's what you have to just keep in mind is that you're so close. You're going to come up out of that. You're going to take a right. You're going to take a left. You're going to be done. But that under, as I go down that, I'm usually like, oh, we got to come back up out of this. And that's been a hard time too for me. So those are a couple of things. The other thing I wanted to mention is the wind picks up in that last six miles. Um, that's when you get closer to Boston. That's when you get the winds picking up. So you may have a climate change where before you were hot and you took off your, you know, your, your, uh, top layer, but now you're getting chilly again because it's starting to um, cool down in the wind. Often the temperature in that, you know, as you head into Boston, it actually lower than it was along the course. So just something to be prepared for the wind. If, you know, uh, we've talked about before, absorb the body blow um, in, in Boston. The nice thing is that there's usually plenty of people to draft behind. Um, so, so, you know, just so again, something to, to be prepared for. And if you've run the first 20 miles smart, then, you know, it's not, it's not a problem. It's just something to, to know can happen as we get toward the end of the course. I'm still hoping for a tailwind this year, but, um, but those are the things that I always find those last three to four miles challenging for me. Um, even when, even in my strongest years. Absolutely. It's, it's not a walk in the park. I think it's so challenging. I think it's comforting to know though, that the, the course itself during those last, that last bit of the race is the easiest part of the course in terms of the elevation and the crowds, the crowds are tremendous. I mean, then from really from like 24 on, there is not a single empty spot without people eight deep, you know, six deep, eight deep cheering you on. So that, that, that definitely helps too. That always lifts me up those last few miles, but I don't know, man, for some reason, those last few miles, like I said, even, Oh, the other tip I would have for the last few miles. And this was a mistake I made last year. I know what you're saying. Fueling, right? So we're talking about fueling this whole time. We talked about every 30 minutes and I was so good last year and I was right on and felt great. And I was doing it and I got to three hours and I thought I have less than about 18 minutes to go. Like, I think I was probably at that point, two and a half miles out from the finish. And I thought I was soaking up the crowd. I thought I'm not reaching in my pocket, take out another gel. I'm almost there. And I was just looking back at my paces from last year. And it's the last two miles where I fell off a little bit, not, not too much, but I held really steady through 24 and then 25 and 26 were off. And I felt it. I knew like, as I was coming down, like, damn, my energy is dropping. And, and that's why I was struggling on those, that overpass and the underpass. And I, I wonder, you know, if I had taken that fuel at three hours, like I had planned, if that would have helped, I don't know but um, stay on top of your fueling, even in that last, uh, you know, last couple of miles. Great tips. So yeah. yeah, that's pretty much what we have for today. We really wanted to get this episode out early because there is plenty of opportunity to practice all of this and digest all of this information before Boston. We would be remiss if we, if we tried to roll out this episode you know, three weeks before, because frankly, it's a lot of this stuff is too late, but now is an opportune time to practice some of the things we just mentioned so that on race day, you were prepared for anything. And it's a great race. Uh, Back to our, our first thoughts, it is a PR course. If you are able to have a great weather day and you are feeling good, you can do it. If there's nothing about this course that is, is, lends someone to not be able to get a PR as long as you execute it properly. You just have to practice. And for those who live in areas that are not hilly, parking garages, bridges, get creative and strength training. We've talked about this in other episodes, but there's a lot of strength training work that can be done to prepare for hills, not mentally, but physically. So make sure your quads are ready, your glutes are ready, your hamstrings are ready. And the stronger your quads and the stronger your glutes, frankly, the better you'll be able to withstand those hills. So don't negate the strength training over the next few weeks as well. And obviously you don't want to cram that in, but for those who haven't been doing it as much, it's not too late to do some of that now before um, taper time. Absolutely. Yay. Getting excited. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to spectate this year and I'm kind of thinking through this as we are writing out this episode and I haven't quite decided where we're going to be, but knowing the course and knowing where I feel like I need the most support, kind of thinking that we may need to be in Cleveland Circle around there this year. I feel like that would be that a really sounds good, good place. To me. To be. <laughs> that sounds good to me. I think if you go to the overpass too, before like because you know people can stand on the overpass. I think it's Mass Ave the overpass. I think that um, 
you know, people can stand on that. And as you see people cheering down, they say, if you, if you can make it there, you can just say, you're almost there. You got it. You can tell me I'm almost there. That um, sounds great. I'll bring like pom-poms and all kinds of things and uh, just, just make sure you can see us, but yeah. Totally awesome. agree. That's for me always like a really tough spot. Now we but, just have to get the weather. So that's, a, that's always, you know, and if we get not ideal weather, either one way or the other, a lot of this goes out the door, um, goes out the window, like the, the hot year, you know, a lot of people went in with their plans for a PR that year and just had to, you know, you got to roll with it. You just got to say like, okay, this is not, and this happens a lot. And this, ha- this is happening now with some of our runners who have goal races and the weather isn't turning out to be ideal. We just had runners do um, Coast Guard Marathon and Half Marathon last weekend where they had 25 to 40 mile per hour winds um, that were headwinds for a lot of the course. Like, you know, you just can't go in. There's nothing you can do about that. Same thing with heat. You just can't go in. You, you, there's nothing you can do. Even the elites are not, you know, they'll have to revise their plan. So, you know, that we have to wait till much closer um, to start obsessing about. But, uh, but like you said, this can be a PR course, especially if we get all the factors that come together and, and cooperate for us. But um, right now we control what we can control and that's our preparation. Absolutely. So another Boston coaching session and uh, every year it never gets old. I just love talking about this race and I love doing it with you, Lisa, and I loved helping our runners and our listeners have the best race possible. So if anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to us at Julie and Lisa at runfarthereandfaster.com. And thank you to the few folks who left us reviews over the past few weeks. If anyone is a listener and hasn't reviewed us yet, we would so appreciate if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps us grow. There are a lot of podcasts out there about running, and we certainly appreciate those who listen to ours, and we so appreciate your reviews. So thanks, everyone. And uh, Lisa, I hope you have a great week. You too, Julie. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.